You're listening to How to Win with Mike Moore, the podcast that provides you with practical insights on how to win in every arena of life. Hello, I'm Mike Moore, and welcome to this Thursday edition of the How to Win podcast. These podcasts are based off 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. It says, now thanks be unto God who always causes us to triumph. I'm so glad to have you with us this Thursday. I believe it's going to be a blessing today. I believe your life is going to be changed. And I want you to share what you're learning uh, through these lessons. I began a wonderful series a few lessons ago entitled Moving Past the Quit Zone. Moving Past the Quit Zone. Now, this series, the theme of this series has to do with how to keep disappointment, discouragement, and depression from aborting your dreams and derailing you. How to keep disappointment, discouragement, and depression from derailing your dreams, from aborting you, aborting your dreams, derailing you. Now, the three parts of this series, and we've completed the first part. Part one, we've talked about disappointment. We spend two lessons talking about disappointment. Part two, uh, we talked about discouragement. And again, we spent two lessons talking about discouragement. Well, part three has to do with depression. Depression. And I came up with a subtopic for uh, this part of the series. Help. I've fallen and I can't get up. Maybe you've heard that commercial, help, I've fallen and I can't get up. It uh, is a commercial that has to do with the medical, medical call alert system. And in the commercial, a person falls down and uh, usually a senior person, senior age person, and they're calling out for help uh, because they can't get up. And it made me think about depression. Depression is much deeper than disappointment, much deeper than discouragement, uh, and often people can't overcome it apart from assistance from uh, someone else. So we began to talk uh, from our character study has dealt with Elijah. Elijah, the prophet, was an amazing prophet an outstanding prophet, a very successful Old Testament prophet, celebrated by millions of Bible students and uh, Bible scholars throughout history. What many don't know is that Elijah, in spite of how celebrated he's been, Elijah struggled with depression. In fact, he became, on one occasion, he became so depressed that he actually quit the ministry. So in lesson one, we talked about the dialogue of the depressed. Lesson two, we talked about the care. Lesson one, again, we talked about the characteristics of the depressed. And in lesson uh, one, we began to talk about contributing factors contributing factors, and we're going to finish that up today in lesson two. We said in lesson one that there were four 
contributing factors. We're not talking about medical or genetic factors. We're just talking about spiritual factors from God's word. There are four contributing factors to Elijah becoming so depressed that he quit the ministry. Number one, unrealized expectations. Number two, unmanaged emotions. Number three, unbalanced isolation. And number four, unwise comparisons. Now, we spent the latter part of lesson one talking about unrealized expectations. Elijah has some mis, what I call misguided expectations. Misguided expectations are expectations that are motivated by either wrong motives or faulty reasoning. Elijah has some expectations that God had never signed off, expectations that he would be widely accepted and widely recognized, expectations that he would be supported by all, expectations that he would have a revival and a parade, so forth and so on. But God never signed off on these expectations, and these misguided expectations led to unrealized expectations. So we discussed in lesson one, unrealized expectations. In our last lesson, this lesson two, let's look at the, th the three contributing factors uh, that are left. Unmanaged emotions is the second contributing factor to Elijah's uh, depression unmanaged emotions. The Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 3, that after Elijah heard Jezebel's threat, I'm going to take your life. In 24 hours, Jezebel said to Elijah, I'm going to kill you the way you destroyed my uh, prophets. Well, the Bible says Elijah was afraid and fled for his life, unmanaged emotions. When you examine Elijah's life, and you can find the story, uh, the context of his life in 1 Kings chapter 17, chapter 18, and chapter 19, and we see a range of emotions, uh, absolutely range of emotions, because you see Elijah again stood before Jezebel and Ahab, wicked rulers, and said, it's not going to rain until I give the word. Elijah in that same chapter, 1 Kings 17, was fed by ravens uh, and, and drank from a, book, a brook. In that same chapter, he was sustained by a widow woman's a little uh, snack she had. God multiplied it. He raised a young man from the dead. He called fire down from heaven and slew 850 false prophets. So you can see a range of emotions from joy and elation and appreciation. When you see the power of God move, you get so excited and, and you so appreciate the presence and the power of God. But 
he also had emotions like disappointment and discouragement and rejection and frustration and fear. And he experienced some burnout and even suicidal thoughts and resignation. So we see a range of emotions and the emotions are just a part of life. God gave us a soul. Our soul is our mind, our emotions, and our will. So we will have emotions. And remember, you're not out of faith because you have some negative emotions. Sometimes you will feel negative. I don't, that's just being real. Sometimes we don't feel great. We don't feel positive. We don't feel uh, uh, excited. So we have to manage our emotions. Thoughts will impact our emotions. What we're thinking will impact our emotions. What we're seeing will impact our emotions. And unmanaged thoughts will affect our decisions and our actions. We have to manage our emotions. We have to guard our emotions, not allowing ourselves to be led by emotions. So under this contributing factor, I want to give you uh, six insights. Number one, don't trust your decisions when you're consumed with the pain of hurt. Don't trust your decisions when you're consumed with the pain of hurt. It's always wise to delay your decisions when you're feeling hurt. Second insight under this contributing factor, when you feel like you're not going to make it, don't believe it. Your emotions are lying to you. When you feel like you're not going to make it, don't believe it. Your emotions, your feelings are lying to you. You know, I've pastored the church that I pastor, uh, Faith Chapel, for 41 years. It'd be 41 years uh, in a few days, April the 26th. 41 years. I pastored a Presbyterian church for a little over a year. So 42 years I've served God's people as a pastor. And I've had such a range of emotions. And there were so many times that it looked like I wasn't going to make it. It looked like we, I was going to fail but my feelings were lying to me. Here's a third insight. You empower your fears when you make decisions based on them. You empower your fears when you make decisions based on them. Don't make decisions based on your fears. Insight number four, under this contributing factor is don't trust the testimony of your feelings <clears throat> when you're discouraged. Don't trust the testimony of your feelings when you are discouraged. Here's a fifth insight on the unmanaged emotions. Feelings 
like a failure. Feeling like a failure doesn't make you one. Never allow your feelings to establish your identity. That is such a powerful insight. Feeling like a failure, and there have been times I felt like a failure. Maybe there have been times you felt like a failure. Feeling like a failure doesn't make you one. Never allow your feelings to establish your identity. And here's the last insight. We're talking about unmanaged emotions contributed to Elijah's depression. And here's the last insight. Just because you feel like quitting doesn't mean you have the right to quit. Did God tell you to quit? Now, listen at that insight again. Just because you feel like quitting doesn't mean you have the right to quit. And I felt like quitting possibly hundreds of times in those 40, uh, these 42 years of pastoring, just felt like quitting, throwing my hand up in the air and walking away. I used to say, catch a bus and ride off. Listen, just because you feel like quitting doesn't mean you have the right to quit. And I'm speaking to somebody specifically now. You are a servant of God. God gives us our assignments. We don't choose our assignments. People don't choose our assignments. God gives us our assignment. God gave Elijah, <coughs> pardon me, God gave Elijah his assignment. God gave Elijah his assignment. So Elijah didn't have the right to quit. Just because you feel like quitting doesn't mean you have the right to quit. Did God tell you to quit? The second contributing factor to Elijah's depression is unmanaged emotions. The third contributing factor to Elijah's uh, depression is unbalanced. <clears throat> the third contributing factor to Elijah's depression is unbalanced isolation. Unbalanced isolation. We all need to isolate some. We all need to get away. We all need some space from others. We all need times where we are alone and we reflect. The Bible says in, in the gospel that there were times when Jesus separated himself from the crowd and even from the disciples. So there is a legitimate time temporary time of, of separation that we need. I'm not talking about that. Listen at this. I'm talking about unbalanced isolation. First Kings 19, the latter part of the third verse through the fourth verse. Listen at what it says. He, Elijah, went to Beersheba and he left his servant there. He had one servant one companion who supported him and helped him. But when he went to Beersheba, he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness 
traveling all day, and then he sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he may die. And he said, I have had enough unbalanced isolation. Elijah made a classic mistake of when you're feeling these negative feelings, you feel like you can't go on, you feel like you're not winning. A classic mistake is to isolate yourself. Isolate yourself. So why do we isolate ourselves, especially when we're in trouble? Why do we isolate ourselves? Well, sometimes we're just embarrassed. We're embarrassed. We're embarrassed. Sometimes we isolate ourselves because of self-consciousness. We feel that we're the only person going through self-pity. No one else is, has the weight that I have, the challenge that I have, the trouble that I have. We isolate ourselves because we feel like a failure. And I talked about that a few moments ago. Sometimes we isolate ourselves because of pride. Elijah said in verse uh, chapter 19, verse 10 and, and verse 14, he said, I'm the only one. I am the only one serving you. Your people, Israel, have walked away from your covenant. They've torn down your altars. They've killed your prophets. And I'm the only one left. We isolate ourselves sometimes because of pride. The pain of other success. We get to looking at other success. And we'll talk about that in a moment. So why do we isolate ourselves? Because of embarrassment, self-consciousness, feelings of failure, pain, pride, the pain of the success of others. Unbalanced isolation. Again, Elijah made a classic mistake. He had all these emotions of failure, emotions of rejection, emotions of not winning. And what did he do? He isolated himself. It reminds me of those National Geographic uh, movies or documentaries. And uh, in some of these documentaries on animals, you see the animals out in the wild, the hippopotamus and the giraffes and, and uh, uh, tigers and the lions. And then you see these pretty little zebras. They're running in a pack. They're just trotting along, running in a pack. Running a pack, they're so pretty, so beautiful, so elegant, so graceful. And then you see the mean tiger, the mean lion, just trotting behind the zebras. They're trotting by, and that mean tiger, that mean lion, he, he, he won't attack the pack, but he just trots behind them, plotting and planning. And then you see one old zebra one dumb zebra move away from the pack and isolate him or herself. And the tiger shifts directions and follow that isolated sheep and attack, isolated zebra and attack the zebra. You know, that's the way Satan is. Satan 
longs to isolate us. He longs to get us alone. He wants us in our own head, in our own mind. He doesn't want us around people in spite of all the one another of scriptures in the New Testament. Love one another, pray for one another, admonish one another, warn one another, comfort one another, uh, exhort one another. All these one another scriptures, the Bible uh, speaks of the body of Christ as being interdependent. The analogy and the metaphor of the human body, many members, yet one body, and all the members are connected and work together. No member is in isolation. My arm is not isolated from the body. My leg is not laying over to the side, isolated from my body. But many Christians, they function in isolation and they give place to the devil. And the and the uh, social media is like a two-edged sword, is like a paradox. It's, it's, it's on the one side, social media is wonderful. It gives us the capacity to be able to reach so many people and connect so many ways through social media platforms. In fact, I could not be ministering to you right now, apart from social media in this platform, whether it be YouTube or Facebook or whatever platform uh, you're using right now, social media afforded me this opportunity. That's the beauty of it. On the other hand, the negative side of social media is that we've become isolated. And so many Christians now are just functioning by themselves. Sunday services, they're isolated at home watching. Bible studies, they're isolated at home watching. So they lose that connection with others. And that's what Satan wants. He wants us to engage in unbalanced isolation. So when we hit a hard place or a temptation or a test or we have a challenge and we need support, we don't have it because we've isolated ourselves. And that's what Elijah did. He left his servant, someone who could speak into his life. He left his servant in Bathsheba and he went into the wilderness alone. Now he's in his own head his own mind, his own thoughts, with no objective insight coming from anybody. And that's the beauty of church fellowship and being connected to a church and worship services. That's the beauty of small groups. We connect to others because we need the support of others. Unbalanced isolation. Then the uh, fourth contributing cause is unwise comparisons, unwise comparison. We've talked about unrealized expectations, unmanaged emotions, unbalanced isolation, and then number four, unwise comparisons. And 1 Kings 19.4, the latter part of the fourth verse, Elijah said, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Elijah felt that he had failed to bring revival just like the other prophets. He was comparing himself 
to the other prophets. And he said, just like my fathers, just like the other prophets, I failed also. I failed you. I failed to bring revival. He compared himself to others. He compared himself to where he compared where he was to where he thought he should be. Now, I have to be transparent now. I have been discouraged in some cases because I've compared not myself to others, but I've compared where I am to where I thought I should be. Maybe that's what you've done. Maybe you're not where you want to be in life, but you had these grandiose dreams of being farther along. Maybe you desire to be married or desire to have children, or maybe you desire to have a ministry of your own. Maybe you desire to have a business of your own, and maybe you're still working for somebody else. When you look at your life, where you are, it's not where you thought you would be. So now you're comparing your present to your dream. And sometimes you can become depressed because you're not where you thought you would be. Elijah is not where he thought he would be. I had the Holy Spirit to say something to me not too long ago. I think I was getting in a funk in my own mind. I think I was dealing with this issue of feeling like I should be further along. And the Holy Spirit said something to me. He said, the delay wasn't because of Noah. The delay wasn't because of Noah. God sometimes talked to me. Uh, he knows my background in the scriptures. He knows what I know from the word. And so sometimes he'll bring out a, a, a text in a prophetic word to me because he know I know the text. So he was saying something to me, but I believe he's saying something to you. He said to me, because I felt like years ago, God told me the planes were delayed. God had promised me planes to, to carry out my worldwide ministry. I felt like I wasn't in my worldwide ministry, and, and I was really getting really uh, down on myself, feeling bad. And I heard the Spirit of God say, the delay wasn't because of Noah. You know, Noah had a dream and a vision from God, and really, he was given an assignment to build a ship because this flood was coming, this boat, this ark, and it took decades to build that ark. Decades, literally decades, to just build the ark. It was decades before it rained, and he was, God was saying to me, the delay was not because Noah had done something wrong. Sometimes we feel like, I failed. I should have done this. I should have done that. Should have done that. Sometimes the delay is not because we've done something wrong. That's what he was saying to me. The delay, Mike, is not because you've done something wrong. Sometimes 
God is working out factors in our dreams. He's orchestrating people. He's getting people in the right place. He's orchestrating resources, getting the resources. Sometimes there's a growth element in our own personal life. There's a growth element in people who are going to support us. There's a, a placement of people who are going to, and all that takes time. So when there's a delay doesn't necessarily mean that you've done something wrong or you fail or you've come up short. Sometimes there's a process involved. Sometimes we compare ourselves down and people below us. We compare ourselves to the side of us, our peers. Sometimes we compare ourselves to people who are farther along. But comparisons in any form is unwise, according to 2 Corinthians 10, 12, 13. They that compare themselves among themselves are not wise, God says in the word. So we see here four contributing factors, unrealized expectations, unmanaged emotions, unbalanced isolations, unwise comparisons, got him into a place of depression. Now, as we begin to close this lesson and close this series, what was God's solution to Elijah depression. How did he get him out of the depression? I came up with, I believe that there are four things and through four words, replenish, recommission, revelation, and resource. I give them to you again. Replenish, recommission, revelation, and resource. The first thing that we see in 1 Kings chapter 9 is we see Elijah being replenished. He was experiencing what we call burnout. He was empty. He was empty physically, emotionally. He was empty spiritually. He needed some rest. So he uh, he fell asleep. God allowed him to get some rest. And then he got up. An angel woke him up and gave him some angel food. And he ate that, but he was still so tired, he fell asleep again. And then the angel woke him up and gave him some more food. And, and then he began to move out on his journey. Sometimes to overcome, we need to be replenished physically, emotionally, spiritually. We need rest. We need sleep. We need a vacation. We need a sabbatical. Then he recommissioned him. He, he gave him something to do. Sometimes we need something to do. We need to put our hands to something else. So God instructed Elijah to lead that cave and anoint Haziel to be king of Aram. And then he instructed him to anoint Jehu to be the king of of. Israel. Then he said, go and anoint your successor, Elijah. He recommissioned him. Sometimes we need to refresh. We need a fresh vision from God, a, re a refreshing, whether we have a journal, whatever we have, we need to go back and we need to look at it. He gave him, he recommissioned him to put his hands because he can't get out of depression in a cave. He, maybe you need to put your hands to some things. Maybe you shut down some things. Maybe you, you're in a cave somewhere. No, get to moving. Get out. Start moving again. 
And then he gave him a revelation. He told him, listen, you're not the only one. There are 7,000 people who have not bowed their knees to Baal. Listen, you need a revelation. Get in the word. Meditate in the word. Look in the word. Ask God to give you a revelation. Ask God to open up your eyes so that you can see what's really going on. And then finally, he resourced him. He gave him a companion. He gave him Elisha. And some believe that Elisha spent the next 20 years with Elijah. The next 20 years with Elijah, 10 to 20 years. So he gave him companionship. God wants to give you somebody to walk with you. Pray that God give you somebody to stand by you and stand by with you. It may be a spouse. It may be a good friend. It may be a co-worker. It may be a classmate. Ask God to give you somebody to walk with you. Listen, we spent several lessons, two lessons on disappointment, two lessons on discouragement, two lessons on depression. I trust that you've been blessed. I trust that something has been said that will make a difference. You can always go back on YouTube or our Faith Chapel Facebook page and look back over these lessons. Get these lessons down on the inside of you. And I declare, I break disappointment over your life. I break the power of discouragement over your life. And I break the power of depression on your life. Be free in Jesus' name. Thank you so very much. Listen, I got a new series. I'm going to begin next series. For all of you that are dating and want to date, I'm going to begin a new series entitled Dating Intelligence. Oh, it's going to be a blessing. Look forward to seeing you next time.